ESPN, Pinellas Park, W262CP, Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Locations in Newport Ridge. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. That's why Peter exhorted the elders of the churches he wrote to to be examples, he said, of the flock, 1 Peter 5, 2. Because Peter understood that the people in a church will be just like those who lead them. So he said, be examples to them. Congregation will never rise higher spiritually than its elders because these men are to be the examples and models of godliness. Congregation follows them. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. When I was in college, which was longer ago than I'd like to think about, I was involved in a youth ministry during the summer between school years. One of the high schoolers told me that she wanted to be like me. That was terrifying. It was really flattering, but it was even more frightening. I thought of Paul's words immediately and said that Jesus was the one she wanted to follow, so don't follow me unless I'm following Christ. All of us, actually, should live in such a way that new believers can look to us and feel inspired to pick up their crosses and follow Jesus just as we are doing. Welcome, this is Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. As we've been examining the nature of the church, we've come to church leadership. The New Testament churches were led by teams of elders, godly, mature Christ followers with the gifts needed to shepherd the rest of the flock. The Bible not only says that it takes several elders to lead a church, it spells out the character qualities those leaders must have if they are to be effective. Here's Pastor Steve to introduce those qualities. The second essential truth about elders that comes from the pages of the New Testament scriptures is that these men must be spiritually qualified to be leaders in the church because that's the way Jesus builds his church. He builds it so that the men who lead must be godly in character. In other words, Christ has designed his church to be ruled through men who meet the highest spiritual standards set down in the scriptures. Where are these standards found? They're found in two particular places. Number one is 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. They both list about 20, 21 uh, distinct qualifications of godly character for elders. We're going to look at them briefly, and I mean briefly, going based on 1 Timothy 3. There are other passages or other messages, I should say, in which I've dealt with this in more of an in-depth study. You're, you're free to get those messages. I'm just going to give you a taste of it. But before we do that, I want you to understand that elders are selected based on these standards and nothing else. No other criteria. That's important to understand because not every church follows that. There are some churches who select their elders based on their success in the business world, figuring if they're good in the business world, they'll be good in the church world. There are other churches who select their their men, their leaders, based on their social standing in the community. They have clout in the community. They're respected in the community. They'll give the church respectability. Others who select their leaders based on longevity in the church. Hey, he's a charter member. How, how do we not have him? Or it's a popularity contest. Or he's wealthy. That'll attract wealthy people to the church. Let's, let's have him on the board. Listen, 
when a church selects its leaders based on anything other than godliness, she puts herself in great danger and will suffer for it. This is not a side issue. This is very important. You bypass the godly qualifications for elders, the church will suffer. The church will be in danger. Why? Why? Watch this. It's a simple but profound truth. Why it's necessary to follow what Paul lays down about godly qualifications for leaders. Because a church congregation will always become just like its leaders. That's why. That's why. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6.40. He said a pupil, meaning a student or a disciple, is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained by his teacher, will be like his teacher. That's just a general truism. You will eventually resemble, in terms of character qualities and attitudes, the man that you sit under week by week in learning from him. And in our church, that that means the full-orbed leadership. That's why it's so important to have godly men who teach us in the church. Because if you don't have godly men, you will. If they are ungodly, you'll take on their ungodly traits. For example, let me, let me illustrate this for you. If the pastors of a church are cold and aloof towards people, I can guarantee you that the church is going to be just like that. Clickish, aloof. They won't show much, much of an interest in visitors or newcomers. They won't practice the biblical mandate of hospitality, opening their homes, being generous with others. Where do they learn this, this clickishness, this it's only us four, no more shut the door attitude? Where did they learn? They learned it from the pastors. Whether the, man's, the men said it or not, they're going to pick that up. Or if the pastors are materialists, lovers of money, the entire church is going to have a tendency to be overly concerned about wealth and prosperity and material possessions. If the pastors lean towards legalistic standards of holiness, then I can assure you the congregation will also embrace many false views of spirituality and they're going to look down upon others, smugly I might add, who fail to live up to their legalism. Folks, that's why you come into certain churches and you go, why are they characterized like this? Because the pastors. The Old Testament said it best like people like priests. The leaders, you're always going to be like your leaders. So whether a congregation recognizes it or not, they will always resemble in their character the men that lead them in the church. So this is very important for you to understand, not just for yourself, but for your children. Being raised here, for some of you, your grandchildren. Who are their teachers? Who are their leaders? Because they're going to be like them. That's why Peter exhorted the elders of the churches he wrote to to be examples, he said, of the flock, 1 Peter 5, 2. Because Peter understood that the people in a church will be just like those who lead them. So he said, be examples to them. Congregation will never rise higher spiritually than its elders because these men are to be the examples and models of godliness. Congregation follows them. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And in Hebrews 13, verse 7, the inspired writer says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Be like them. You are going to be like them. That's why it's so important as members of a local church to know and understand the high standards of godly qualities that scripture sets down for, for elders. Because that is the way you're going to be. 
So I want us to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to go through these qualifications very quickly, just touching upon them. But it's very important that we understand this. Here's the qualifications. Now notice, Paul starts off in verse 1 by saying, It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of an overseer. By overseer, we know he means elder or pastor. It's a fine work he desires to do. The apostle begins by telling us of um, how a man would know if he's called to be an elder. That's a very, very valid introduction. A man needs, he says, to sense God's call upon his life or he shouldn't be one. So how does he know that God has called him to be an elder? Paul speaks of him aspiring to the office of an overseer. And then he says it's a fine work that he desires to do. Now, he's used the word aspiring, which means desire, strong desire. And then he says the word desire. In other words, when God calls a man to be an elder, he puts a desire in his heart to be an elder. That is to say, folks, you don't have to recruit a man to be an elder. You don't have to persuade him. You don't have to go to him and say, you know what? We can't find anybody else. We need you. If you have to try to persuade him, he's not called by God. Being called by God into uh, the ministry of being an elder is, is not some uh, mystical, subjective voice that he hears inside of his head. It's a desire God puts inside of him. He, he desires this. He wants this. And I want to add to this. He desires it for the right reason. Because there are many men who would say, yes, I'd like to be an elder. But the reason they'd like to be an elder is because they like the spotlight. They like the prestige. They like the honor. It's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a a desire to minister the word of God and to shepherd God's people. It's sort of the same thing that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Those who are called to be an elder, elders in the church have this attitude. I need to do this. I want to do this. I love God's people and I want to teach them the word of God. And if God has put this desire in a man's heart to be an elder you can be certain that this man will be spiritually qualified to fulfill that task and that desire God has put in his heart. And so the congregation looks at him and has to affirm, is he biblically qualified? He says he desires it, but is he qualified? How do you know if he's qualified? There's a list of about 20 qualifications. So let's, let's look at them. Starting in verse 1. We see it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. Then Paul says in verse 2, an overseer then, notice this, he says, must be. These are not negotiable. He must be. There's no flex here. If he's not all of this, he can't be an elder. An overseer then must be, first of all, he says, above reproach. Some of your translations may say blameless. The the word means that there's nothing in this man's life that would cause an opponent to make a charge against him that would stick. Now, he may have those who make charges against him, but nothing that would stick. Understand the balance here. Paul is not teaching perfection. None of us could ever serve then, including the Apostle Paul. And there will be times, and there are times, when an elder sins and, and fails But what Paul means is there is to be no glaring sin defect in an area of his life that is so obvious to everyone that he fails to be an example of Christian maturity for others to follow. There's nothing that's glaring in his life. You say, well, this is certainly out of order. I have a hard time following this man. He doesn't model 
Christianity for me in this area. That's what Paul means. It has to be above reproach. Secondly, Paul says he must be the husband of one wife. This is not a prohibition against a single man serving as an elder. Understand that. Nor does this really have anything to do with a man's marital status before he was saved. To say that is to go beyond the intent of this passage. It simply means that if he is married, then he must be loyal and committed to his wife. Literally in the Greek, it means he's a one-woman man. That is to say that he lives in a sexually pure relationship with his wife without any adulterous behavior or attitudes. He is committed only to her. He has a good marriage, has a good relationship. He is loyal to one woman, his wife. Then we read about some character qualities in his makeup. He must be temperate, prudent, and respectable. These qualities speak of the man as being balanced, as as not given over to excess in any area of life. He's a sensible man. He has a sound mind. He makes good decisions. He has behavior that is respected by his peers. That's what it means that he is respectable. Then we're told he must be hospitable. I've already touched upon that, but the word simply means he loves strangers. He loves strangers. He's not cliquish. He's not standoffish. He doesn't say, I only know these few people. There's no room in my life to meet anybody else. He is generous in opening his home as well as his wallet to those he doesn't know. He invites people over. He and his wife serve a meal to them. They spend some money on on people they don't even know. That's hospitality. Also, Paul says he is able or apt to teach, which means he has a God-given skill in accurately communicating the Bible to others. That is to say that All elders must have, at some level, the spiritual gift of teaching. Of teaching. How do you know if you have the spiritual gift of teaching? People want to listen to you. Some people, some men want to teach. I say some, then if nobody has the gift of listening to you, then you're not a teacher. You know what I mean. There are some men who are so intent on teaching, but frankly, nobody wants to hear them. You don't have the gift of teaching if nobody wants to hear you. But these men have to be able to teach. As I said before, it doesn't mean the pulpit, necessarily. It does mean that at some level, they can accurately communicate the Word of God in a way that's interesting, in a way that is certainly clear, and in in a way that is accurate. Then, in verse 2, we read, or verse uh, 3, rather, that he is not addicted to wine. This isn't a prohibition of drinking any alcoholic beverages. A man may choose to not drink any alcoholic beverages, but that's not what this is saying. Literally, in the Greek, it means not beside wine, meaning that this this is a man who doesn't linger a long time besides wine so that he gets drunk. Remember, in the ancient world, uh, wine was a basic drink because of all the bacteria in water. So they would drink wine, but he doesn't stay there drinking a lot of it because then he would get drunk. So what Paul is saying is this man... To be an elder, he has to be one who doesn't have a drinking problem. He doesn't get drunk, and we would apply it today also to say he doesn't have a drug problem. He's also, and I love this word, not pugnacious. Not pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable. It means this man is not quick-tempered. He's not a, a fighter. That's what the word pugnacious means, a striker. He isn't a violent man. He's not abusive in any way. Rather, he is a gentleman, and he's not contentious. He's not argumentative. He's not somebody who's going to start not just a physical fight, but a verbal fight either. 
Paul also says he's free from the love of money. That simply means he's not a, he's not a covetous man. He's not a covetous man. He doesn't have a problem with loving money so that it becomes his idol. He's not a materialist. He may be wealthy, he may be poor, that's not the issue. But in attitude, he doesn't love money. Then notice verses 4 and 5. Paul writes, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. And then he adds a clarification of this. Why is this so important? He says, But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? I I hope this is helpful for you because what Paul is saying is this. A man demonstrates his ability to lead the church by first demonstrating his ability to manage his household well. His household is simply a miniature of the church. And if he doesn't do a good job there, then why would you think if you give him more people to manage, he's going to do a good job? Remember, in Bible times, someone's household would include not only a wife, but children, servants, land, property, and even relatives who lived under this man's roof. You learn a great deal about a man's leadership skills by seeing how he addresses issues in his home. How does he treat his wife? Is he sensitive and thoughtful towards her? If not, he's, he, he's not going to be sensitive and thoughtful in the church. How about the way he disciplines his children? Does he do it properly? Is he too lenient or maybe too strict? Because whatever he does with his children, that's the way he's going to treat the church. Is he gracious? Is he flexible in his dealings with his family? Or is he harsh and unbending? We're not talking about compromising biblical issues here. But is the man unbending? He won't listen to reason. It's his way or or the highway. If he's like that, then he shouldn't be an elder. See, whatever a man is like in his home, that's the way he's going to be in leading the church. And Paul does add in Titus chapter 1, verse 6, that this man's children must be believers as well. That is to say, they must embrace the faith of their father. And I think Paul's point is that so, so no one's going to look at this man saying, I wonder if some things went on in his home that would turn his children off to the gospel. Now, that may not even be the case, but you don't want to raise that in people's minds. You don't want to lose credibility. Then notice in verse 6, he says, and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. An elder cannot be a new believer. Can't be a new believer. He has to be a mature believer. And a mature believer just takes time and experience. It doesn't happen overnight. You can't tell much about a man's character when he's a brand new believer. He has to face adversity. He has to face conflicts. He also has to face some success. How does he handle success? Does he let that go to his head? And, and that's Paul's point. To place a new believer in a position as an elder would be a great temptation for him to be proud and conceited. And that's his point in saying he could fall just like the devil. The devil fell because of his pride. You don't take a new believer and say you're going to be leading the church. He can't handle that. And then verse 7 says, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, meaning that he has a good testimony with unbelievers. That is to say, the man's not a, not a hypocrite. Those that he works with, those who see him in his neighborhood, those who he lives among, 
and has business dealings with, they know him to be a man of integrity, a man of impeccable character. That is to say, folks, there is no dichotomy between what this man is like in church on Sunday and what he's like Monday through Saturday. What he is at church, he ought to be during his work days and neighborhood and how he lives at home. Now, folks, these are the standards that God has set down in his word for all who serve as elders. They have to meet these standards. Why? Because Christ rules his church not only through a plurality of men, but through a plurality of godly men who not only live by his word, but who teach their congregations to live by his word. They model it, they verbally teach it to the congregation. That's how Christ has designed and built his church. Let's pray. Now, you may be thinking, well, this isn't really very relevant for me. I'm not going to be an elder. Well, it is very relevant, regardless of whether or not you'll ever serve as an elder, because all of these holy standards that God sets down for elders are standards for all of us, because these men model these behaviors for us. They model them. They model these holy standards for all of us. So this is for us, folks. As you look at this, is there any area in your life that you're convicted of? If there is, then change it. Then change it. Don't go out of here and then forget about these things. You need to make changes. What, what will you do in applying this to your life? How will you implement these changes? Take some action to make any necessary adjustments in your life. Why? Because this is what your sovereign Lord and Savior and head of the church tells you. Christ has given you his instructions, his commands. If he really is your Lord, then you'll obey him. Question is, is he your Lord? Do you care about what his word teaches? If not, then you just don't know him. You don't know him. Because to know him is to desire to obey him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's the mark of being a believer. We do follow him. Not as perfectly as we should, but we follow him. We desire to. So I say to you, if you don't know Christ, then repent and and believe on him today. If you do know Christ, then evidence it by obeying him as your Lord and head. Father, thank you for teaching us. Lord, help us as a church body to follow these truths. We are going through these principles slowly to grasp them, to make sure we understand them. We live in an evangelical culture, Lord, that has turned away, for the most part, from Bible teaching in their zeal to be relevant and contemporary and to build large numbers, Lord. How many have simply neglected and ignored the scriptures. Lord, I pray that these messages, these sermons will help build depth into our church, depth of conviction about the nature of the church that Christ is building. And I pray that you'll draw to yourself those who still don't know you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A song we played often on the radio station where I served as a missionary is called, I Want to Be Just Like You. 
It had great lyrics. If you're not familiar with it, it's about a man whose little boy wants to be just like his dad. And the chorus goes, Lord, I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. I want to be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. Help me be a living Bible, Lord, that my little boy can read. I want to be just like you because he wants to be like me. Lord, help us to be living Bibles for the people around us at church, at home, and at work. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is one of several vital ministries at Lakeside. You can learn more about us and listen to previous lessons at versebyverseradio.org. Besides those downloads, we offer a free CD with all three parts of this message and without the announcements. To get your CD, call 727-239-0306 and ask for Message 4224, The Nature of the Church, Part 4. That number again is 727-239-0306. I'm Jerry Peterson. Pastor Steve has been stressing the high standards for elders. The role of an elder is 